signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. More like Greatest Discovery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we're just just here to drag it. No, we're not. That's the thing. I saw somebody posting a, uh, a, like, a Reddit about, like, just taking wiffle ball practice on on this episode, and I was like... Both A, that's like not the vibe that we are going for here. <laughs> and B, like, why this episode of all episodes? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Yeah, no. I was just looking th- at that through a feverish set of peepers, Adam. I was sick as hell this week. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm happy and surprised to be doing this show with you this morning. Yeah. Uh, after the week we've had, we've... Uh, we've taken an unscheduled week off on production because of your illness. I was feeling a little bit crappy on Sunday and woke up feeling really bad on Monday. And I was like, oh, this is probably one of those 24 hour things, except for I had like a, a 24 hour hangover. <laughs> I mean, it kind of felt like a hangover, to uh-huh. be honest, but I hadn't been drinking. So I was like, what gives? Not fair. I mean, uh, should I just drink then if this is how I'm going to feel anyway? What the fuck? Yeah. Maybe if I drink now, it'll go, I'll go in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tenet your alcoholism. <laughs> I haven't seen Tenet. I, I'm just using context clues to make that joke happen. Uh, I watched Tenet uh, last weekend. Did not understand an, a single moment of it. Enjoyed it immensely. Uh, did you enjoy the joke? I did. All right. I, 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 I thought the joke works. Okay, good. Newsflash, the joke works. Good. I mean, we're already um, giving Rob very little time to edit this episode, and I want to make yeah. sure all of my jokes land and none of the bad ones get cut out. We're going 100% good jokes on this ep. I, I've literally been in bed for over a week, so... Uh, God. So I'm... I'm We'll see if I even have the stamina to do this episode. <laughs> to the extent that I can care about anyone else uh, besides me and my <laughs> wife and my puppy, I was and am uh, concerned about you, man. I hope you're on the the backside of this, the backside being the better side, the booty side of being sick. I was concerned too, my man, um, but I have some great news for you. Hold it up to the camera, Jackie and Laureate. Coronavirus negative. (laughs) That's a pregnant pause, buddy. Wow, man. I thought I had it for sure. In some ways, I'm disappointed by that news because the idea that there's something else out there that can knock down a co-host for an entire week that isn't the big bug. Yeah. I mean, are you disappointed? I am. And I'm, I. the other thing is I'm just baffled because I've been so careful. Yeah. It's literally the first time I've been sick at all in any way this year, which is a, a blessing. But right. uh, like I thought that all of the efforts I was taking to protect myself and my family from COVID were going to work for all of the other things too. And something got around the, the gate. Yeah. yeah. It sucked. It could have just been a, a different flu bug. Yeah, I think it was some some influenza that my flu vaccine did not inoculate against. Got to tell you, I was expecting a super old Dr. Pulaski face to greet me on the video feed here. <laughs> you look good and you sound better than I was expecting. So I think we can do a show. Let's do our best to give the people... An episode of The Greatest Discovery. More importantly, to give Rob's an episode of The Greatest Discovery to edit in time to release on time. Yeah. I mean, look, you may have been the sick one, but Rob is the one that suffers in a situation like this. Absolutely. And that's too bad. Sorry, Rob. Do you want to get into it, Adam? Yeah, let's go ahead and get this one done for Rob. Let's do it for Rob. Let's uh, do it. Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 12. 
There is a tide. Is the name of it, and it's probably the last Jonathan Frakes directed episode of the season, unless he does the finale, right? Is he doing the finale? Oh, yeah. I imagine that he wouldn't. I mean, it's kind of rare to do two back-to-back TV episodes like that. If anyone has the stamina to go yeah. back-to-back, it's it's John W. Frakes. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful man, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Discovery has jumped to within range of Federation HQ, and it's got the Viridian on its tail, but it's just shooting firecrackers at it. That's the idea. This is like a like a shot-for-shot shot New Hope opening, isn't it? Mm. The, the disco with the Viridian bearing down on it, uh, just like the Hammerhead trying to escape the, uh, the Star Destroyer. Speaking of Star Destroyers, Adam, we're going to destroy a Lego Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. That's this year's Falcon. People always love that about us, our willingness to destroy something of value. (laughs) This scene um, made me appreciate that quality to the ship in a way maybe I haven't before. By the ship, I mean the Discovery. Like, Remember when they, they first showed the first imagery of the Discovery and it looked all flat and long and people were like... yeah. This is one of the other reasons people were like, this is not my Star Trek. Look at how flat and pizza boxy that fucking ship is. <laughs> but now, like in the future, with the new nacelles and the uh, and the cool color temperature lights to it, it looks like it belongs more in the future than it did in its contemporary time. Did you feel that way? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's a great call. Um, it also just presents kind of a narrower target, like... I know that the Viridian's pulling this punch, but if if somebody was chasing you and shooting at you, you would want to be like a thin, oh yeah, kind of hard hard to hit object. It doesn't work so well in middle school when you're thin, being chased by a more powerful powerful object. <laughs> Only in space, I guess. Does that help yeah, you? Right. Yeah, that's what what little middle school Adam would always yell at his bullies. I wish I was in space. The idea that the bridge crew is in the ready room and the rest of the crew is in the brig is, I think, the main sticking point for this episode. And the reasons that this is that 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 is the way it is versus any other way is the main reason that this episode can work. I think if that is reversed or done in any other way, I think the story doesn't hang together. It doesn't work functionally. Yeah. So we get some some time with. Admiral, the photo that comes in an executive picture frame, uh, working with his crew, uh, and, and he's kind of he's a bit suspicious of Disco. Like they they don't know whether or not to open the garage door or not, and they you know have good reasons to be suspicious, but also kind of have to give the the Disco the benefit of the doubt given the huge warship that is bearing down on it. It's really cargo bay hypocritical where like the disco rolls around in space with its back flap open, you know, perpetually and mm-hmm. and Federation HQ is a closed system. It's got it's got its overalls buttoned all the way up. The pacing of this is so it's so interesting to me because it's it's both breathless but it also has lots of little moments that let you catch your breath like there's the moment on the bridge where Osira and the other lady are talking about how there's these weird old timey movies mm-hmm. on the computer and they're like what are these yeah and it's just like planting the 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 uh sphere data question in your mind right in in a subtle way <laughs> but it's like i can't believe that these two people are talking about this but i kind of buy it for some reason there's a quality to the takeover that is something we haven't really seen before outside of like a Borg hostile takeover, right? Like there's this yeah. need for Osira to convert the Disco's operating system to something that the chain uses. Yeah. And that doesn't seem like a need or an interest that anyone else has ever had in capturing a starship. We've gotten diehard in space on Star Trek before. Uh-huh. This episode with things like that kind of did it in a way that I, I had wished it had been done before, which is like, give us more of that Star Trek-y shit in your diehard 
it's like a hundred percent up on the diehard slider and a hundred percent up on the Star Trek slider. It's not backing yeah. off of of one or the other to accommodate. You know, that's true. Guess we'll find out. We also run back into uh, Zara, the guy from the Ice Planet. He's uh, his hand now looks like Mister Deeds's foot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, when you have a disfiguring ice injury and you choose not to get it Luke Skywalkered out like in the form of a of a bionic hand. Yeah. It doesn't give me a lot of faith in the emerald chain as a like functioning technology body. Yeah. Like it confirms the whole junkyard aesthetic of the chain right. being what it is. And and that's weird because that that conflicts with what we learn about the chain later on and their abilities. Like they they do have a lot of interesting technology abilities to bring to bear, but not enough to to fix Jake Weber's hand. Well, yeah, like maybe there's a planet in the Emerald Chain where you could get this fixed, but it's so far away that it's just you know unreachable yeah. or something. Like or maybe it's an aesthetic choice. He's like this this is cool. This makes me seem even more space piratey, and I like that about it. There's no way that hand doesn't smell, though, is the thing. Like, yeah. I get the aesthetic, but you got to put on a, a glove. Here's what, you, here's what you do, Ben. You get yourself a glove made out of the, the silver thread, mm, mm. the antimicrobial thread. <laughs> I think we know where to get those, yeah. right? Not before you let Tilly hit, hit your hand with a fireplace poker just to demonstrate how little feeling it right. has, though. <laughs> yeah, you got to do <laughs> The hideousness will haunt my dreams forever. This is the most Mr. Deedsy episode we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you want to do with this episode? Okay, I'm here for it. (laughs) So, Book's ship has chased this whole uh, situation through one of the... uh, one of the transwarp conduits, and uh, we get to see why transwarp conduit travel is not a fun way to go. It's a uh, it's a real mess in there. Someone needs to go in there with with a cow catcher on the front of their I ship know. and clear that thing out. That seems like valuable scrap. Tunnels get flushed, <laughs> and why don't we get in there with a great big hose and and push the debris through? Yeah. You know, like much like a bidet can sometimes get a little water like further up than you think that it might, but that can sometimes free up some things that uh, that you didn't know you still had. We're using a new piece of technology <laughs> that involves a small fiber optic camera at the end of it <laughs> and this spool of cable. Speaking of poop shoots, Book's ship goes right into Disco's. Uh, oh yeah as disco is going through the garage door this is a non-consensual shuttle bay entry here yeah and uh they crash land inside the ship as the disco is accepted into federation hq with the door slammed behind it and we go to opening credits a little later we see the the little robots the the dot 23s go to work on book ship like is that just automatic if something breaks on the discovery does one of these things just show up and and get to work because if i'm on the chain team the chain gang if you will mm. and i'm on the discovery uh, you don't want book ship being repaired They're like you want to you want to capture and control right if book ship is being pr- repaired that's going to make a lot of noise and that's the sound of the men working on the chain <laughs> Osira is um, naturally pissed about the rear action in the shuttle bay. Yeah. Not like mirror universe level pissed, right? She's not like no. killing the person that was incompetent enough to let it happen, but definitely mm-hmm. letting them know she's taking great umbrage with this. You should have seen them coming and blown them out of the sky. Uh, this is a, a walk and talk as they head down to engineering where she meets her good time buddy Invigilator Aurelio, who is one of the great scientists of the Emerald Chain. And uh, this is where we get to see a bit of a softer side of Osira. I got to say, the uh, the Invigilator name is something I'm only familiar with from an adult bookstore <laughs> or like a uh, a sex toy section of a website. 
Yeah, it sounds like something Dr. Ruth would bring up. Yeah, the the invigilator has like a couple of rabbit ears on it <laughs> and uh, and kind of a ring of pearls. Yeah, she, she takes it out of her bag of tricks on Conan and the audience goes crazy. And Yeah. I'm glad the chair has advanced past uh, flashing light as a form of <laughs> of communication. Yeah. Uh, for someone inside like uh, great to see Kenneth Mitchell back on the show obviously and uh, he is sort of the conscience of the chain yeah at this moment in time and he really has Osiris ear right she she trusts him she likes him she presents a version of herself to him that we haven't met before and I thought that the scene was really great for establishing that case just to be clear this is a show that does not tend to do that though like we we have jumped to the relationship they have yeah without any reason for the treatment of a person in this case like like this guy ariello is treated far better than her own flesh and blood nephew (laughs) for sure that's true um but but also like something about the way they interact makes you wonder like how much about her he knows even, you know, and that's right. something that's exploited later in the episode. I think it's well planted yeah. here. So, uh, yeah, he's going to, he's going to try and figure out like how Stamets is able to do spore jumps in the, in the math of Die Hard. Uh, the, the ship is the C4 and Stamets is the detonators and <laughs> Michael Burnham is going to have to try and get the detonators away from the Gruber gang. I kept wondering who the smarmy rat fuck turncoat was going to be of the bridge crew, you know? <laughs> what am I, method actor hunt? Like, at least give them something to do. Like, uh, yeah. like if Bryce was like, uh, Osira, bay, <laughs> <laughs> opens up a can of Coke. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is Bryce doesn't have enough facial hair to have cocaine caught in it for jokes. Right. You know? Yeah. That is the thing about Bryce, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the main thing that we know about him. Before Osira leaves Aurelio, she like flicks on the hi-fi unit before leaving yeah. and, uh, and starts blasting that good, good opera into the room. It's a good thing she knows Kenneth Mitchell, Kenneth Mitchell's character likes it. Yeah. And uh, when, when, the, when the crown of Borg is removed from, from Stamets, uh, he's into it too. Yeah. He loves opera. We know this about him. I guess. In the Shuttle Bay book gives Michael Burnham uh, and a reason to say I love you by uh, by giving her the ring that she's always desired, the ring that makes her uh, anonymized by the ship's sensors. Yeah. Will you put this on and make me the most not sure where you are on the ship man <laughs> that's ever lived? It's one of those pieces of jewelry that that you can give without the bad feelings right. of, of giving like this isn't a blood bracelet is what I'm trying to say <laughs> yeah there's there's no movie about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jaimon Hansu in a test of wills I would have bet you almost every penny I've got that at some point there would be a scene where Zara thinks they found Michael Burnham and instead it's the bracelet around a cat or a fucking bundle of bombs, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. Now I've got a dot 23. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. But they can't do that. And you know why, right? Like, like you, can, uh, you can suggest a knowledge of and enjoyment of the Die Hard, but you can't, you can't actually have Michael Burnham walk on broken glass, right? right? You can't actually ho, ho, ho. Uh, a dot 23 right i mean what would even broken glass be on this ship it's probably all broken transparent aluminum future you wouldn't even know you're walking over it it would (laughs) would still be transparent what a problem it would be yeah all vessels weapons hot so the admiral kind of figures out that this that disco is not quite what it presented itself to be and has all the ships in space dock like heat their weapons up one of them i think it's the uss song gets like 10 feet away from the disco and i'm like that is not where you want to be if you're about to start 
shooting at a spaceship. <laughs> We've seen what happens when they blow up. We're getting more and more of a look at the other ships gathered in this area. And one of them to me just looks like a funnel, just a fucking funnel, <laughs> a funnel ship. Uh, this seems like a handy ship to have in the kitchen, but a little <laughs> bit hard to find storage for. I know. It's like never quite fits in a drawer, but it seems annoying to put in a cabinet. You pull out the drawer and it always catches. Yeah. Ugh. You got to like reach under and no thanks. I'd rather go without. Yeah. The worst. Uh, good job, Admiral Uncle Your Dad Never Talks About because they don't see eye to eye politically. Like he's connected <laughs> the dots here and uh, like not a moment too soon, right? Right. Who knows what Discovery would have done? And I wish I did, right? Like, you get the sense that this was the plan the whole time was to become captured in order to put uh, Osira in the same room as the Admiral. Yeah. But what if... What if they just eliminated Disco, yeah. Or what if the Disco goes in weapons hot and starts kicking ass inside before the Admiral puts it together? It's an interesting plan Osira has. I think that... uh, I think that this is about when she like hollows over there to to talk to him and uh, she introduces herself as Minister Osira. And mm-hmm. uh, this is another side of Osira that I just don't feel like I understood. Like I thought of her as space gangster, warlord, you know, bad guy. But she has like a she has like a political title within the Emerald Chain. And she's she is there to to talk turkey. She's taken hostages. And she's she's controlling the most valuable ship in his fleet, but also is like trying to make a make a political overture to him. Right. All of the damage done by every one of her moves up to this point still makes sense if her end goal was to be sitting across from a conference table from the admiral, you know? Yeah. Like this isn't this didn't come out of left field for me that all of this crazy would be behind us and there is a measured uh thoughtful Osira at the end here when it comes time to be that person. Right, cuz it's just good math, right? Like she is not so crazy that she thinks that the way to solve her dilithium problem is to start a war with somebody who also has no dilithium, right? Right. So, yeah. I thought this was an interesting and and smart development in the script. Michael Burnham gets her first body on the uh on the disco. Uh book has been taken into the mess hall with the rest of the bridge crew and Michael Burnham is like choking a guy out with a in some kind of like judo leg hold. He gets a knife into her leg and we get the cauterizing the wound scene, but it's Star Trek that I have always wanted, which is a Star Trek character gets stabbed, but still gets like a lot of the mission done because it's actually not that big a deal to get stabbed when you can wave a light over it. I mean, it's not just a light. She uses a phaser to cauterize it. Yeah. And the reason she has to do that is because there is, it feels like this is a a ship and a way of being where there should be a med kit around every corner, the way that you could find a uh, a fire extinguisher in an office building every 60 feet or whatever. Like, right. And uh, crucially, they're right next to uh, a place where you put on a suit to go out into space. Like if there's ever a spot for all of your, your med kit needs, they should be right there, right? I guess so. I, d- I didn't realize that that was a phaser. I thought that she was using some kind of medical device. I mean, one of us might be wrong here. Fairly confident I know who that is. Well, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm looking back at the at the image of it now, oh, yeah. and it is a phaser. But yeah. what my theory presupposes is the badge is a tricorder and a communications device and a transporter. Can the phaser also be some kind of medical device? Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. That's a great call. It doesn't look fun what she's going through, right? Like it doesn't look no. like using the phaser to to heal the wound is ideal. Like it doesn't look like the the way you would want to do it if if you had a culber around to actually help you. The scene starts with an inciting incident of that asshole like trying to uh trying to scrape a dead person's com badge off the off of their memorial wall. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that underscores his necessity to die, right? Like, we're not going to feel bad for him because he's a bad person. Is that the idea? He's a he's a grave robber. Yeah. Um, Those badges are really on there, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> they used a uh, two-step epoxy to, to get them on there because we want those badges to stay up for time immemorial. There's a little wordplay for your enjoyment. This scene ends with Michael Burnham in the Jeffries tube sending out a mayday call to her mom that sort of says everything, but I guess our cause is starting to look a little lost. You could tell a co-op Malat would be very useful in a starship takeover scenario like this. Mom, the uh, the hijacking does not go well for the discovery. Far worse than is generally known. <laughs> if you're going to Mayday, what other option does she have for for someone to call for help? I was really racking my brain about this. At first, I was like, "Oh, that's convenient. We're gonna we're gonna get Mom back on the scene for some reason." And then I really thought about it, and I'm like, "Everyone's here." Sides do not stay on the sidelines. I mean, like, Navarre presumably has at least one ship that's still capable of warp, right? Like, there's no way Michael Burnham's mom is not showing up next episode, is is what I'm trying to say. Right, but I mean, was the Discovery the only ship capable of going out there and coming back in an amount of time that makes sense? Who knows, man? We just aren't, we aren't permitted to know those pesky details. <laughs> Lots of I love you's on this episode. Yeah. Ben? Yeah. A lot of love in this room. Remember when the Jeffries tube had floor grates? This seems like a much easier on the knees version of the Jeffries tube. They look to me like those flat, uh, by flat, I mean flat versus gloss, like flat weight room tiles, you know, that are made out of sort of a corky material. Right. Way more comfortable on the knees if you're... If you're crawling around in there, very absorbent of uh, the the leaky leg wound. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to be fixing an EPS conduit or doing a CrossFit exercise, <laughs> this is yeah. the kind of flooring you want. So Osira has beamed over to Federation HQ to meet Admiral School Principal, who's not mad; he's just disappointed. <laughs> and they set up the terms for this visit, and they agree to these terms. Immediately, Ben. Those terms are don't start nothing, won't be nothing. Yeah. Don't come for me <laughs> unless I've sent for you, basically. This location's a place of trust too, right? Like you're standing on this balcony. The fall is looks like three or four stories to the bottom. Yeah. There's no guardrails. Although like a piece of floor could materialize under you at any point in that in that fall, yeah. you know? <laughs> That's true. It's a it's trust flooring. Yeah, That's what it is. It's uh, it was developed at a at a manager's conference yeah, many centuries is, ago. This is a flooring that's very hot among, uh, <laughs> among management types. Um, she asks why, uh, given what they're here to talk about, she can't meet with the president of the federation, and he explains, "Well, we haven't cast that person yet, so you're going to have to mm. meet with me." And they sit down and start talking about basically like a merger of the federation and the emerald chain like why not combine our resources you've got a spore drive we've got brilliant scientists we could be a big a big organization that deals with lots of people and uh like maybe maybe there's something we could do here uh to to both solve our dilithium problem and end hostilities between our peoples are you clear enough on what the Federation lacks in order to make this negotiation make some some sense? Because like in the logic of the show, I think the show is very confident in this being an intriguing possibility and there being some fairness to a negotiation where both sides uh, get some things that they need and sacrifice some things that they that they need to sacrifice. Like, right. I don't feel like we know enough about the Federation to be like, come on, man. Like, like this is, this is good for you. I feel like the chain is still so bad at this point that I, I wasn't sure how to feel. My feeling is that they are relying on Navarre, 
not being a part of the Federation anymore to sell that Osiris science people are mm-hmm. attempting enough offer here. But um, I agree with you that that uh, I, like it's strange credulity at, at the beginning. And I, I, I loved how this whole thing went because of how the Admiral flips it on its ear toward the end. But uh, this, this opening overture, I was really worried about what the show was going to ask me to buy in terms of like what he was willing to accept in a diplomatic scenario. Cause, cause yeah, we just don't know. It's part of the muddiness of this relationship where like there are still hostages right outside the window that the Admiral knows about that right. she has control of and they are, they are a very little part of this conversation that they have in this room. Yeah. I mean, like they talk about like the not important parts of the crew being loaded onto shuttlecraft and, Mm -hmm. and then they are like off to the races. Let's, let's call it the United Federation of chains. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a two chains, sixth studio album, actually. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I mean, uh, Osira even does that bit of wordplay. Like she transposes the Federation and the chain terminology right. to describe their uh, their different sides to things. Um, it's tantalizing. And like the, the thing that I wondered if was being set up here is, is this when the Admiral makes his heel turn and mm. reveals himself to be a bad because he is willing to kind of sacrifice federation principles in order to uh in order to get some kind of political stability but at what cost yada yada yada. it's a great question to ask at this point especially because osiris is so much more likable in that room yeah A, a great sequence of scenes back on discovery in the mess hall the bridge crew have have uh star trek fought all of the motorcycle bad guys that have them hostage. One thing I wanted to talk about here was that like they talk about the computers being taken over again in this scene. Mm -hmm. And as a viewer, we are conscious of the sphere data at this moment, but it's just kind of left to us to wonder. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have been really interesting to see the crew process the idea that the sphere data has been deleted and what a tragedy that would seem like to them. This crew was willing to sacrifice everything to keep it safe from control. And now that the their ship has been taken over by by a force that could be malevolent, like it's not control bad, but it's right. still like the bad guys. Where is the urgency having to do with the sphere data? There really isn't any. I mean, I mean like it seems like they accept the idea that it's just gone. But I, w- I wanted, like, even somebody saying, like, God, like, the sphere data, like, like we gave so much to protect it, and it's mm-hmm. sad that it's gone, but at least it's not, you know, like, Osiris was too stupid to know what she had, so at least... That's a really nice, like, salt with the sweet. Like, there's so much about this episode is fun yeah. in, a, in that diehard kind of way, but incorporating a little bit of grief there might have been a nice counterbalance like emotionally for the thing. Totally. The grief we get is actually presented to us by Stamets, right? And it begins in this scene with Aurelio yeah. where Stamets is doing that thing that a hostage can work in their favor, which is by making themselves a real person in the eyes of someone with with that kind of grip on them yeah. so as to save their own lives. And so he's he's trying to bond with Aurelio over the idea that they both have children, even though Stamets's child is unconsensually in that relationship <laughs> with him. But also like Aurelio doesn't know that. Like this is this is one of the first episodes this season where I really liked Stamets as uh-huh. a character. Like I felt like this is Stamets, like, but it took him being unjustly imprisoned to like get his mojo back (laughs) here's the thing like i could totally read this as a guy saying something to bond with someone to save their life but i also can't rule out that this is a series and episode of television where they would just write that stamets has assumed uh 
custodial or parental control over Adira, and that's just how it is. Right. And we skipped that part, and he's the father, and Adira is their child, and like that's yeah, that's what it is. It's it's a it's a quality that you have described before is like we're not writing our way to a destination; we're just announcing that we've arrived. Yeah, and. And again, like if in episode three or four or whatever it was where we met Adira, Stamets had been like, hey, she can stay with us. That would have been, yeah. that would have like, been like all we needed to to get to this line. But <laughs> that's, that's something that's so frustrating about this show at times is like you could see the fix in a half a line of dialogue. Yeah. I wonder if... That's the kind of thing that in season one or two they could fix by just going back and getting a quick insert, and they couldn't this this season. That's a that's a great defense of this, and I'm totally willing to to buy that. I mean, who yeah. knows, right? Like the, the way television is produced is really different from the way films are produced. But when you shoot a film yeah. and you then like screen it for a test audience and see where it's working and where it's not. You can go back and get pickups and, and cut scenes and change the order of stuff to like, to, to really nail it. And mm -hmm. I feel like the post-production on this one, and especially like, cause I think they were trying to get it released, like right around the beginning of the pandemic, which was when there wasn't any production even happening. So mm -hmm. the opportunity to fix, not being there, maybe force their hand on some of these choices. Stamets knows the score here. He knows this is new Star Trek and the chance of him being tortured in an especially gruesome way is on the table. He's like, you're gonna you're gonna take these tardigrade cells out of me in a very traumatic way. Yeah. I know it. You know it. The American people know it. <laughs> and Aurelio's like, actually, no, man. Like, like this is the future, remember? Yeah. We're gonna take a couple of those cells and we're gonna grow them in a test tube uh, because that's the way we do things around here. And also, uh, Osiris is not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Stamets is doing very reasonable math, like assuming Aurelio is motivated by evil because Aurelio is wearing the costume of an evil man and is friends with Osira. And uh, and what he doesn't realize is that uh, Aurelio imagines himself to be a moral man. Yeah. But... Adam, no ethical consumption and capitalism. And we know from the negotiations between Osira and the Admiral that the Emerald Chain is a capitalist uh, society. And, uh, and that's going to be one of the tricky things to change if there's a merger. Why should the Federation <laughs> have 99% of the old com badges? <laughs> well, the Emerald Chain just gets this one dumpster of the old com badges. It's unfair. Dilithium should be a human right, and yet only Koreas are allowed. <laughs> In the Jeffrey's tubes, some of the regulators uh, catch up with Michael Burnham, but not before she's come up with a plan to blow them out the airlock like a alien fucking queen, which she does. Uh, very fun scene. Uh, we, th we think maybe Michael Burnham goes with because her belt breaks at the last minute. Uh -huh. But, uh, you know, like there's that pregnant pause and then we hear her come over the radio on the bridge. Call Nate Dogg and Warren G, because you're going to need a few more regulators. Mauna. <laughs> Zara's like, what? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is not supposed to be funny, but when they cut to the exterior and then back onto the bridge and they look at the view screen and they see that regulator just holding two boots frozen <laughs> and like rotating in space, that is... That is such a shitty way to go, holding on to boots. I don't yeah. know why that was such a visceral reaction for me, but like that is shameful and embarrassing. Adam, I yelled at my television, let go of the boots and try and <laughs> grab something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That regulator did a great job is what we learned. Yeah, she tried. She tried really hard. Invigilator Aurelio explains <laughs> to Stamets, listen, man, like Osiris is actually a really- The Invigilator takes- D batteries, <laughs> like three of them. It's like a fucking maglite. Yeah, yeah. 
and it only runs for like 15 minutes tops yeah it really works hard but it fucking works he's like osiris is a great person i i shouldn't be alive i i have a genetic defect that you know makes me have to use this wheelchair in your time that might not have been such a big deal but in my time it really is and osiris saw the potential in me <laughs> He's like, tell me about the wheelchairs of your time. And Stamets is like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> There's just kind of a lot of beeping yeah. involved. Well, it's it's an interesting point because like, you know, the, the disability community have long called for more representation on Star Trek. And mm-hmm. people that use wheelchairs have, have seen very little of themselves in Star Trek before. And while I am a person that, would like more disability rep- representation in, in media and think representation matters generally. Like it, it always was a bit of a puzzle to me in Star Trek because in the future, wouldn't you imagine that that a problem like that was solvable in a way that was better than in our time uh, in whatever form that takes. And I think it's, uh, it's great that now that they are in a time where it is less solvable, they're taking the opportunity to kind of write that wrong and, and, and not just like a paragon of good character that uses a wheelchair. It's a, it's a complicated character that uses a wheelchair. There are times in the show when I resist and resent uh, a character talking about the contemporary within the context of, you know, what their character is going through or, or or where where a story is taking us but there's a dimensionality to Kenneth Mitchell's performance here when he describes his circumstances uh, as they were as a child and what they are now that I found totally riveting like there is there's a real person in there talking about his circumstance yeah. through a character's voice that is saying something similarly uh, that I just found really affecting and like I'm really really I, like Kenneth Mitchell did good and fun work as Klingons before, but like, f- cool. Like they're they're Klingons and he's acting Klingony, but like to give him a to give him a role where like this like makes me really glad that he's back on the show in a way that without a scene like this I would have just been like, uh, yeah, Kenneth Mitchell did great work, but like now I know Kenneth Mitchell does fucking great work. He's got game. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the conflict in him and why he feels loyalty to Osira and. And it's really brilliant the way Stamets finds a way to undercut that. Yeah. Back at the negotiating table, uh, the bomb gets dropped. You're eating shit. (laughs) (laughs) Osira, how's my shit taste? Yeah. Here's, Here's how it tastes. It tastes like a fucking browned apple that's been sliced open and left to turn brown in a room. Yeah. And specifically the kind of apple that you buy, like wrapped in cellophane at an airport. That's a bad apple, whether or not it's made of shit. Yeah. I wanted the lie detector and in on this moment so bad, Ben. Like the, the comedy fruit was hanging so low <laughs> that that when when Admiral, you're eating my shit, says you're eating my shit, I wanted the lie detector to be like, that's true. <laughs> I know. So fucking hard. Yeah. We're going to have to get used to this as a society, right? If we have dreams of space travel, the recycling of waste into something we consume has just got to be a part of that math, right? (laughs) We fertilize crops with shit, so it's not like that far from what we currently do. It's just a, it's a electromechanical process instead of a biological process in the, in the future. So things are really coming to a head at the negotiating table. Osira wants the recognition and acceptance of their way of life, the chain way of life. Right. She wants an embassy, and uh, in exchange, she's willing to abolish the uh, the slavery aspects of their society uh, if it means getting these concessions. This is what I love about this scene: is that like the the admiral is like, "Hey, listen, like I know that you have like lots of good people living in the Emerald Chain, but you have." supervised it all and there's slavery and shit in the emerald chain and he rejects her and like i kind of feel like in some ways he was stringing her along until he could get to this point 
Like, I love, I love the fact that that is like a total sticking point for him. Like until you are like personally held accountable for the, the crimes of capitalism that took place in the Emerald chain, like we can't actually do business with you. Like, and, and also the fact that unchecked capitalism leads to slavery, just being like baked into his assumptions about, about what dealing with the chain will mean is really powerful writing. I think. I like the the idea of this being like a post-Civil War reconstruction conversation, but what this negotiation lacks is that past relationship. Like, where is that dimension of we were once all together and we can be again, instead of this is these are our separate lanes, let's merge lanes finally right. after all this time. There's... That part of it is lacking in a way that I feel like could really give it some juice. Yeah. The problem is we just don't have enough time to talk about like the civil society institutions that exist in the Emerald Chain to hold an Osira to account. And right. that's what he's calling for is like a an elected leader to represent them to this new like reformed <laughs> federation or whatever. And she's like, no fucking way. <laughs> like that's going to be my sock puppet and I'm going to stay a hundred percent in charge of my shit. Yeah. Like, uh, Robert E. Green can't continue to lead (laughs) the Emerald chain, uh, post reconstruction. Right. Right. And I love this moment. Like, like we we can take as much time as we want batting this around, but even Osiris, like, look, uh, here's the armistice document. Like there's a lot of fine print here. So just go and go and sit alone with this for a while because we need to go get back to the action movie already in progress. So she beams back to the ship. She's pissed at Zara. Uh, she's on the bridge. She actually asks Invigilator Aurelio, like, maybe uh, maybe you don't want to be on the bridge for this next part. And uh, and he's tempted now. He's like, he's got a, a seed planted in his mind by Stamets. Um, Michael Burnham has already stunned Invigilator Aurelio and, and taken Stamets, but... Uh, God, we're going to get so much Invigilator art. It's, it's going to be so fucking crazy. I hope so. Um, Look, I don't want my wife walking in while I'm looking at Invigilator memes, okay? <laughs> That's not going to go well for me. Yeah. Put your browser in private mode before you open the Invigilator threads. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's kind of weak soup that Stamets counters Aurelio's Osira isn't so bad story with... They used pesticides on Quajon. Right. Like, that's a very, like, cause a riot in Whole Foods <laughs> counter argument here. Like, th- I think he needs something toothier than than that. Yeah, but uh, but he's there for Osira blowing away Rin. And I think that that's uh, the thing that, that undoes, you know, that lets the scales fall from his eyes. And, uh, right. And and this is like on the heels of book like offering Osira the dilithium as big as the Ritz. That always happens though. The like, fine, I'll give you what you want. And then there's that pregnant pause, and then Rin is turned into Windex on the bridge. Yeah. Pretty messed up. I mean, that's Ugh. that cutback to Aurelio is the thing. Mm-hmm. The thing that leads us to the the season finale, like he's going to be instrumental in the takedown. Right. Just a couple more scenes. Um, Stamets, of course, on uh, being freed was basically getting ready to spork jump to, to the simulation where his husband and adoptive teen genius charge are. And Michael Burnham stopped him like in, in a very like, Burnham on Burnham kind of way like he was he was acting very Burnham-y and like a fuck everything else that's going on this is the most important thing for to me and therefore we're doing it that is a super elegant way to describe this yeah uh but uh he does not have the same luxury that she does she stuns him and she puts him in like a in like a seed pod that she's gonna blow out the side of the ship and uh and let the let the federation take him and 
this this last moment of his is very like tearful and desperate he really believes that she is dooming his his family to death and boy i uh, i wonder if their relationship can recover from that i think anthony rapp got two runs at this he gets that he gets that scene pre neck pinch where he says my whole life is in that nebula yeah Anthony Rapp is great in that scene, but I don't believe that that is a good moment. Uh, Like, I think you're fortunate to have an actor who could pull this off the way he does. Yeah. I think we describe this sometimes in in Deep Space Nine, how you get a couple of really talented actors in a room going back and forth, and you can see them, like, really playing the actor tennis and, like, making making each other great in the process. These are two really great actors in the same room trying to turn this dialogue into something meaningful, trying to turn their personal stories into something uh, with a huge amount of gravity that isn't totally earned. Like Anthony Rapp carries this moment, but I think this, the second moment is far better. Like the moment where he's he's in the egg and he's about to be blown out is like, I almost wish you could remove the first one in favor of the second one hmm. because it. I think in the context of the story and, and in their characters and in their relationship to each other, I thought the second one, like it really hit me. I thought it was a great moment for him as an actor and Stamets as a character. And I love how like it's an indictment of Michael Burnham's choices as they compare to the rest of the crew's sacrifices. That needs to be said, and he's right to say it. Yeah. Like, who are you to suddenly like? It's always about Michael Burnham. Right. It's always about what she wants. What about uh, what about asshole Stamets, ready to be an asshole again? I was really glad that they avoided any needs of the many type phrasing in this conversation because it's yeah. it's there. In the mm-hmm. subtext, but if it had been said, I feel like it would have cheapened the moment and just been like, hey, a Star Trek thing. And instead, it it felt really authentic and good. I wish that Stamets fought back, back harder physically in that moment before he was uh, neck pinched. You know, like it's, it's so... Uh, it's a very primal moment and you could see him doing it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I almost wanted, like, for his own safety, it to be kind of a mercy neck pinch versus a Michael Burnham's trying to accomplish a mission neck pinch, which feels very different uh, in this context. And I think would have juiced the Stamets a little bit more and his motivations there. What if she neck pinched him and then then put her hand on his face and said, remember, and then gotten in the spork box herself. (laughs) I like it. Really like it. Uh, The button on the episode, Adam, is the bridge crew now free and roaming about the ship, arm themselves in the armory and hear something coming. What's it going to be, Adam? They got to get ready. They got to get in cool fighting tableau dual wielding pistols and stuff but uh but it's no threat it's some uh, some cute little robos who are the sphere data the sphere data has collected itself in these in these robos and uh, is now riding to the to their rescue the robots are the cavalry what kind of raid configuration are we talking about here if you destroy one robo, have you corrupted all of your sphere data? I don't know. Or are they hot swappable? Yeah. Is it uh, one is none, two is one, three is enough <laughs> kind of a situation? Like if one of these robots gets blown away, what happens? I was appalled that they all flashed the shocker as some kind of <laughs> salute. Like, what, what, what the hell? What is this, the late 90s? Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're all uh, they're all big Dane Cook fans. These dot twenty threes, and that really like a very abrupt end of episode here. It's a smash to black. Did you like the episode, Adam? It was a fun genre bash of Die Hard and Star Trek in the way that you described. But I just wish and Mister Deeds. 
and Mr. Deeds. <laughs> right. It, it is all three. It is, I mean, it is the holy trinity of genre. <laughs> it really blending, is. If you will. <laughs> uh, the three temples theory lives on in another show. <laughs> I wish I could figure out the attitude of future Starfleet a little better because like, I want to believe more that this is a a way of being that is worth saving. Like, is it worth living in this future? Mm-hmm. Like, there's so there's such a lack of joy in anything having to do with Starfleet right now that when you see Michael Burnham make her sacrifices, when she forces the other people around her to make those sacrifices to preserve this way of life, I just kind of wish I cared more about such preservation yeah and i think there was an opportunity to make a stronger case for that throughout the season that that makes these sacrifices feel hollow and character based versus uh versus story and setting based like like they might be otherwise i really agree with that i i feel like in that moment when she is like packing stamets up in the escape pod and says that like uh, like I know that those three people are really important to both of us, but this is about everybody in the Federation. Like it hit me in that moment. Like if we had had this moment in season four, after we've spent some fucking time in the Federation as it currently exists and seen yeah. anything about it, it would have hit so much harder, but it, like it's all implied so far. So uh, while that is true, I thought this episode was super fun. Um, I, I'm here for the mashup and I, uh, I liked the twists and turns. There were some, some great moments of surprise and some really fun performances in this episode. So on balance, an episode I, I liked quite a bit. Well, uh, we're going to have to see if we get some priority one messages we like quite a bit as we check our priority one message inbox. Which is a, it's a system that we always back up <laughs> uh, in triplicate to make sure we don't lose any. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have one priority one message here. It is of a promotional nature. And it goes like this. You find yourself looking for new comedic podcasts from a source you can trust. Are you a fan of the Bravo show Vanderpump Rules? Yes. Does the idea of reality TV get you grumpy? Yes. If you answered yes to one of these questions, then Vanderpump Robs is the podcast for you. Join Greatest Discovery producer Rob (laughs) Schulte as he attempts to watch every episode of VPR. Season 2 begins January 7th. Special guests include James Arthur, Allison Rosen, Dan Kennedy... Leah Palmieri, and some guy named Ben. I promise you'll love it. I mean, that's a hell of a promise there, Robs. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> as, as someone who's not seen a minute of Vanderpump Rules, I mean, I just don't know. Uh, I trust you. I trust your judgment. I bet you don't even have to watch the show to enjoy Vanderpump Robs. I enjoy Robs quite a bit, so yeah. that works. The, uh, the call to action is subscribe to Vanderpump Robs, a sexy, unique recap podcast. <laughs> Do you know what sexy, unique recap refers to? Adam? No. Uh, Lisa Vanderpump owns a restaurant called Sir, and that is short for sexy, unique restaurant. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's where most of Vanderpump rules takes place. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, all, almost unimaginably self-parodic and yet sincere. Rob's knows his stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I uh, I can't recommend this highly enough. I've been a guest on the show. I uh, I talked to Dan Kennedy, who was also a guest on the show. And after watching one episode to recap with Rob's on Vanderpump Rob's, Dan Kennedy became a total Vanderpump stan. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so, uh, so do with that information what you will, but check out Vanderpump Rob's. On uh, on your podcatcher of choice. Wow, yeah, and uh, thanks to Robs for uh, spending his own money on a priority one message. Yeah. Priority one messages, of course, uh, support the ongoing production of the Greatest Discovery as well as the rest of the Uxbridge Shimoda family of podcasts. All of them sexy and unique. Indeed. 
Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I think I'm just going to give it to Rin for, uh, for being a real fun... Uh, character arc um i love i love the like last stand like i'm i'm here with you book we're gonna we're gonna kill a bunch of motorcycle bad guys before they take us alive moment with rin a bit ridiculous that they would uh that they would kill that many dudes and then be taken without uh without a scratch on their heads <laughs> right it's a it's a very star wars analogy to have a bunch of stormtroopers burst forth yeah. and then be easily picked off that way but uh also like Rin's one piece of leverage is that he knows the big secret about the chain and the second Osira finds out that the admiral knows about the mm -hmm. about that secret she has no reason to keep him alive and i i could i knew in that moment that his number was up and i was i was pretty sad about it cuz i liked that character a lot yeah i was sad to see him go too i think it's too bad characters that have a chance to become 
interesting are are killed so quickly. I think has had a chance to be one of those. Yeah, but uh, as uh, was proved by uh, Invigilator Aurelio, if you if you've got <laughs> loaf the first time you you come out on the show, you could you could come back as something else. I'll never not laugh at Invigilator. Uh, Zara is my Edward Larkin. I mean, kind of a no win situation for him Mm -hmm. i guess i mean he is making all the bad choices he is the guy with the stinky hand uh he's gonna take the fall for this which sucks he's allowed all of this bad stuff to happen and i think that's a very uh edward larkin way to be on an episode specifically like to to make as many mistakes as he does yeah this app uh is is very larkin-esque indeed well, we got a season finale coming up next week, Ben. I can't believe it. We're going to make it to the end of our 23-week-in-a-row run. It's true. Um, I watched the promo. It looked like a lot more of same, a lot more kind of action movie stuff, which, uh, you know, I like action movies. I don't want my Trek to be all action all the time, but uh, I'm curious about that. And and. And interestingly, it looks like next week is action movie blended with stuff back on the on the ship right. uh, in the simulation with uh, with the survivor. Right. We still have that situation happening over there. Yeah. Just a regular sized episode. Yeah. You think that's just an hour or something? Or are they going to give us longer? I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. Um, well, thanks for checking out the greatest discovery this week i think it's time to leave it with robs thanks for doing the show this week ben there was a moment where uh who knows <laughs> not happened yeah we made it happen glad you're feeling better man love you lots thanks bud the greatest discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by adam pranica and ben harrison The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Please check out Vanderpump Robs wherever you get your podcasts. It's a lot of fun. With edits made by Friend of DeSoto Marie Hill and original music composed by Friend of DeSoto Jeremy Siegel. I promise you don't have to watch the show to enjoy the pod. The Greatest Discoveries theme music is by Adam Ragusea. Check out his YouTube page to find your next recipe. And if you're looking for more Trek... Why don't you discover some of our off-season episodes? The Mirror Universe comic books are some of my favorites. Don't forget, you can now follow us on Instagram and Twitter under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly. We really appreciate you, Bill. You're doing great work over there. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week on The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned, audience supported